Gift Biz Unwrapped, Episode 173. Dream higher than the sky and deeper than the ocean. Attention, gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and thank you so much for sharing part of your day with me here today. Social media. In the beginning, there were one or two platforms, and then another one popped up, and then another one popped up. And then on each of the platforms, they continue to enhance their offerings. There's new tools and tricks that you can do with each platform. And there's pages and there's groups. And we can't forget video and now live streaming that's so important today. One thing builds on top of another until your whole social media strategy (laughs) looks like a closet from your teenage years when you open the doors and everything is just thrown in there and it's just one big mess. Perhaps it's time to clean up and organize your social media strategy. Today I have joining us Sarah Frink, the CEO and founder of Real Marketing Solutions. Sarah is a creative, driven, and radically authentic digital marketing strategist with a head for marketing and the heart of an entrepreneur. She has the unique talent of taking complex ideas and breaking them down into actionable steps that get results. Four years ago, Sarah founded Real Marketing Solutions, a creative digital agency specializing in helping businesses create an online presence that converts strangers to followers followers to leads, and leads to paying clients. Now I have to tell you, Sarah is one of my mastermind sisters, and I couldn't be more proud to share her with you. Welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast, Sarah. Thank you, Sue. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here and be able to share with the Gift Biz community. Oh, I'm so excited. And before we get into all of this, I want to start off as I do traditionally, because we just have to keep with tradition here. And that is by having you describe yourself in a little bit of a different way, which is a motivational candle. So if you were to give us a color and a quote of what your ideal candle would look like that totally speaks you, Sarah, what would your motivational candle be? I actually love this. My motivational candle would be the color purple, probably a deeper purple, with the quote, dream higher than the sky and deeper than the ocean. Higher than the sky, deeper than the ocean. Tell me a little more about that. Well, purple represents creativity. And as a highly creative person, I really try and stress there are really no boundaries in your dreams. Like everything that you want to happen is possible. You just have to make it happen. So there's no limits when it comes to your dreams. And the color really represents creativity and personality and authenticity, which are all some of my words that I use to describe myself and my business. So that's how I came up with my color and my quote. Perfect. And you know what I love about your color? And it's actually, it's something that I see happening most of the time, not always, but most of the time with people that I know that come on the show. 
is I pretty much know what color they're going to say. <laughs> but it's really so great because it really means then that you bring branding into your business, which is all really coming genuinely from you. Like, I know it's purple because that's you, right? Yeah. That's who you are. That's what you do. That's how you resonate. And we very recently had a conversation with you about your logo and should you do purple? Yeah, it was one of those things that attracting your ideal client, obviously your ideal client has to be attracted to your brand and it has to resonate with them. But also there's a certain amount of personality of you that needs to be in your branding because being a small business owner or business owner where you are the face of your business, obviously you want to attract people that you want to work with and that understand you. So that was a really interesting conversation to have with my mastermind sisters and process to go through as I'm working on rebranding my business as well. I had some feedback, oh, you need to move away from purple because it's too feminine. But in the end, I stuck with purple as one of my colors. If you don't identify with your business, you're really in trouble. Absolutely. Again, I don't want to attract people that don't want to work with me for the reasons that are displayed in my business. This is even a tip to give to everybody out there that's in that branding process. You really have to have a little bit of yourself or a lot of bit of yourself in your brand. Ultimately, it should be what represents you the best. Absolutely. And Sarah, we haven't even really talked yet for you to know all this, but I'm going through a 100% rebranding of everything Gift Biz. Wow. And most likely our show right now, when this one goes live, the whole branding will be out. So my whole new logo, I mean, from podcast logo to masterclass logos, everything. And you know what's so interesting about it? It does finally feel so right. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so excited to see it soon. It's a big undertaking too. It definitely is something you have to, when you're tied to something or you built something of your own, rebranding or having someone else come in and look at your brand is kind of a tough thing to do, but I can't wait to see what you come up with. Well, you know what was interesting, and then we'll get off that and get on the topic we're supposed <laughs> to be talking about, but it took someone from the outside telling me what they saw in my brand and me saying, no, that's not right. That's not what it's supposed to be. I was actually presenting something different than my intention, which I thought was really interesting. Absolutely. That's really what happened to me as well. You were there when that conversation came up and that wasn't what people were seeing, wasn't what I thought I was communicating. And again, when you're so close to it and it's your baby, it's really hard to see things from other people's point of view or, you know, to see what they're seeing because you see it this way and you've created it from the ground up. But it also is a really good exercise in growth. And when you're growing a business also needs to be really in alignment with who you are and the look that you want to present to the outside world. Absolutely. Agree 100%. And with that, we're going to wrap that up and continue <laughs> on and get on to some of the other good stuff we're going to talk about. Let's dive in. All right. All right. But first, to dive in, I want to dive into your background a little bit because you have a very interesting story about how you got to social media. So give us a little bit of that. Yeah. So my background actually comes from the mortgage industry and working in real estate. I got into the industry really young, ended up going back and getting my degree later on. But out of college at the age of 19, I jumped into the mortgage industry and built three different businesses with different companies in the mortgage industry, mostly specializing in new construction and working with home builders to help them sell inventory 
which just so happened to be at the time, I had two really great years when the real estate market was thriving and then also got to experience the downturn that was 2008, 2009, 2010 in some areas. It was really interesting time. And a lot of what happened or what I was doing for these builders was coming up with marketing solutions for them. They were stuck with inventory that they couldn't get rid of. And I worked for a large lender at the time that had some leeway to come up with financing programs and offers that the builder could then offer potential buyers to help them sell their inventory. And my marketing brain was always on in that position. And it's the part of the job that I love the most. Social media was just becoming a thing at the time. And most of the builders were not active on social media. Even as a lender, we weren't very active on social media as well. So I kind of got to pave this way for this industry in the Portland, Oregon area and ended up being really successful even in the downturn. Loved what I was doing, but didn't love the corporate side of what I was doing. I've always been an entrepreneur at heart and loved the challenges that come with building your own business and really wanted to explore what that looked like on my own. And I saw a niche. I really saw the opportunity to be able to come in and help businesses understand what social media could do for your business in terms of marketing. At that point, I mean, people were still spending tons of money on mailers and drop mail and newspaper articles and advertisements and radio spots. And that was still a really active way of marketing at that point, but it was definitely shifting and your return on investment was definitely diminishing. So bringing social media to this industry was really a big part of what I did and finally branched out on my own. Yeah. Well, what I love about your story is you were there right at the time when all of social media was coming to the forefront and you were able to test and learn and practice, not in your own environment, like not having to test with your own company and your own money. You were doing exactly what you should be doing because you were working for somebody else, but you didn't have to take on all that risk yourself then. And then you saw that it was working. Yeah, I saw that it was working. And I also saw all of small businesses, which is I'm sure a lot of your audience can relate to corporations were taking big stances with social media and investing heavily in ad dollars, even more so today. But these small businesses, especially if they were a little bit older, they were resistant to getting started on social media or just didn't know how. Most of the people that I started working with didn't even have a Facebook page or a profile. So they didn't understand really how to use it, which was what was holding them back from even getting started. So creating this environment where I could come in and help them as a consultant and help them get started and either train somebody in their business to run it and create the content or us do it for them was what I started doing. And now it's evolved into a huge business. So it's been great. And that's one of the reasons why I really wanted you to be on the show, Sarah, because I look at our audience and I have the privilege of knowing a lot of you guys, Gift Biz listeners. And I think what's happening to us now is social media has been out and available for enough time where everybody is dabbling in it to some degree, maybe just a little bit, maybe a lot. But what keeps happening is new platforms come up or changes happen on existing platforms and everyone keeps jumping to the newest thing and doing a little bit of that and then jumping to another new thing and doing a little bit of that. And so I think we've gotten to the point where we're all doing a little of a lot and we're not seeing any results. And what I'd like to talk about, just like you were saying when people were just starting when social media was brand new, 
I'm feeling like a lot of us need a fresh start. We need to like halt, like the comic character that skids to a halt and just like <laughs> evaluates and starts fresh. If you were talking with someone who either is just starting now in business, so they might have used social media just personally, right? Mm -hmm. Or they're caught up in all of this mess and need to just clean shop. How does someone get started right from the ground floor? Let's just set the base and then go from there. Absolutely. This is a great question. And it all comes down to understanding who your ideal client or who you're selling to is. So one of the things, like you said, a lot of people jump from one thing to the next because it's a trend. Someone says, get on LinkedIn. They might jump on LinkedIn just because they heard that, but they don't really understand how to target their ideal client on that platform. So it's really important first to understand who your ideal client or ideal audience is. What's the average age of your purchasers? What's the demographic? Are they stay-at-home moms? Or is it kind of all over the board? Are they men? Are they women? Do you understand how much they're making? Are they employed? Are they not? Really diving in to who your purchasers or and or your ideal clients are helps you figure out where they're going to be at, right? So Facebook may not work for everybody. If you have a product under $50, you might want to explore Instagram or Pinterest and start with one or the other and really, really master that platform before you move on. Because I think what happens is people jump in and they don't really understand how to do any of them good. They just start. And three things happen with that. First of all, usually you lack consistency. And consistency is really key. Obviously, nobody remembers the person that threw up 55 posts in one day and then they didn't hear from for three months. So it's more important to have a consistent content strategy than it is to be posting seven or eight times a day in seven days a week. Consistency is really important. So if you can only commit to one platform, I would tell you to commit to that platform, master that platform. And then once you do, you can move on and add in something else. The other thing that happens is we just don't understand how to leverage that platform. So we don't have enough information of how to really get sales off of Instagram or how to get sales off of Pinterest. So we're just kind of throwing things up. And nothing's really happening because we're doing that. So understand the platform, learn the platform, master the platform, and then start adding in other options for selling. So would you say that you're not missing out if you just focus on one platform and get it going so that it's actually resulting in something for you, whether it's visibility or business or there's some type of traction going versus doing everything and not seeing any results, anything coming back? Absolutely. Say you're on Pinterest and you're putting content up on Pinterest, but you're not optimizing it. You're not using hashtags. You're not writing descriptions. It's not linking back to your website. Your content's not going to show up on Pinterest in search. So it's really not doing you any good to be on that platform. It's more of wasting time at that point. So I would absolutely recommend for someone starting out, you pick the platform where the majority of your ideal clients or purchasers are in terms of demographics, learn that platform, create a content strategy for that platform. And once you feel like you've mastered it and you're getting results, then I would add in another platform to target. Because again, it doesn't do any good to be on Instagram if you're really not getting business from Instagram or your buyers aren't on Instagram. And it also doesn't do any good to do that if you're not leveraging the platform to its fullest potential. Perfect. Okay. A couple of questions for you. I know where my ideal customer is going. How do I know which platform is right? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm assuming a lot of the gift biz community is selling probably a product or has a brick and mortar store that sells a product. 
So this is a good opportunity for you to look at really what I tend to do. And again, I'm a service-based business, so this is a little bit different for product-based. Look at your top revenue sales. And if you know, and this might be a little bit harder for product-based, it usually is. If you know some of the demographics behind that sell or that purchase, obviously, if you're brick and mortar, you know who's coming in the door. You could probably get a decent gauge on who that is. Then you translate that over to the platform. So Facebook is one of the platforms that has one of the biggest audiences. They also have a marketplace where you can sell products. You can have your shop on Facebook. You can have that link to Shopify, all of those different things. Facebook definitely has the biggest age range and demographic on there. Now, if I'm looking at Instagram, Instagram is still really millennial based and is moving up in age, but the activity on Instagram is not really moving up in age. So let me explain this a little bit more. Most of my clients that are 40 plus years old that have a real estate business or a product-based business, yes, they're active on Instagram, but they're not actually the ones that's active on Instagram. So if I'm trying to reach them, They probably have somebody like myself or a $10, $15 an hour employee posting their content and manning their content. So if I'm targeting them as a person, I'm probably missing the opportunity to actually connect with them because they're not really on the platform. Now, if I'm targeting a millennial or someone under the age of 35, they are active on Instagram. So the chances that they're going to see my content on there is really great. If I'm targeted a do-it-yourselfer, Pinterest is where people go for that inspiration. So if I have a product that's $50 or below, and I'm trying to sell either online or to this community of DIYers, I'm going to look at Pinterest as a platform that's probably going to be able to help my business. Pinterest is not a social media platform. It's a search platform, and therefore it has a kind of a different set of rules, but basically the same idea behind the different social media platforms. Now, if I'm targeting women that are 55 plus, I'm probably not going to be on Instagram at all. I'm going to be focusing on Facebook and maybe a little bit of Pinterest if it's still the DIY market. And that's probably where I'd start. People tend to know who their product is designed for, what age category, and if it's male or female that are buying the most of it. You can even start as basic as that as identifying the age and the gender of who you're selling to the most. And then from there, you can find the appropriate platform. Got it. Okay. And so you've just covered a bunch of them. We didn't do LinkedIn. What would you say about LinkedIn in terms of the audience there? Well, so for product-based businesses, this is going to be a little bit different. For service-based businesses or business-to-business, LinkedIn is a great platform. So if I'm targeting, and honestly, more men are on LinkedIn than women. So if I'm targeting men in uh, higher job title positions or higher income brackets, and I'm a service-based business, I will be on LinkedIn. If I'm a product-based business, there's still that opportunity. But again, it really depends on who you're targeting. If you're targeting professionals in industries, you might have an opportunity on LinkedIn. If you're targeting stay-at-home moms, they're probably not on LinkedIn, nor do they care to be. Right. So really understanding, you might have a little bit of both in your demographic, but who primarily is the buyer of your product or service? That's where you have to start. Okay, perfect. So just in summary of what Sarah's talked about already, if we're deciding that this is the time to clean shop and just start rebuilding from the ground up or perfecting what you already have, start with one platform, dive into the platform that your prospective customer is on, 
not necessarily your friends or your peers or any of that, but who your prospect is, who you're trying to get the message in front of to take action to grow your business. And Sarah just went through all of that. And then you're going to want to be consistent on that platform. Mm -hmm. And now how do we learn what the right things are to do by each platform? Because every platform is very different. I recognize that in this call, we're not going to go through every platform and talk about what you should do. But how should someone, let's say they've been on Facebook for a while, where do they go to learn more about how to do things right on Facebook or Instagram or whichever platform it is? Well, Sue, we have a course for that. (laughs) Well, you don't have to be. I didn't do that intentionally, by the way. No, I know. But what then it comes down to is your content strategy, right? So if you're on Facebook and you're not really getting any engagement and you're kind of frustrated, you know your ideal clients are on there, but say you have a limited budget for advertising and your reach is really low and you don't know really what else to do. The next thing that you need to take a look at is what types of content that you're putting out there. For products specifically, so if you're a product-based business, and again, I'm really highlighting products because I think that your audience kind of falls in that category. That's perfect. Absolutely. For product-based businesses, it's really important to have a content strategy that one, lets people know how to use your product or the benefits of your product. So if we're just sharing articles from somebody else or from, say, article share on the five best decorations for the 4th of July, this is just coming to my head. But what we really want is people to buy our 4th of July product. We really need to create our own content around that instead of sharing other people's content. And one of the things I see that people do the most is they're just sharing articles and they're really not creating any of their own dynamic content. And in order for content to be seen, it has to be dynamic. Also, if you are going to put ad dollars at it, you want to make sure that that content is going to get engagement and that people are going to want to see it, want to learn more about it and click to visit your website or whatever that is. So really coming up with your own custom content strategy. So for product base, it's really important to teach people how to use your product or the benefits behind the product. It's also equally as important to have testimonials about the product. So people raving about your product, how they use that. And again, when you have raving fans and raving clients that use your product often or daily or are willing to share that experience, that is content that you really is just priceless content that will do really, really well. So you have to have a mixture of content in there that's going to showcase and highlight your product in the way that you would want to be on the end user. So think about it, like if I'm buying a product and maybe it's 45 or $50, I'm gonna wanna know that I, one, I'm gonna have to have a need for that product or I'm gonna wanna know that people are buying that product and raving about that product. I need some information from you. So that's really important. And then on the flip side of that is really high quality images of your product. You'll see people post imagery that maybe isn't the highest quality, that maybe doesn't showcase the product to its full potential. And that's really doing you a disservice. Yeah, I think so. Because nobody knows you except for what you're putting online, especially online. Exactly. Unless they're local. And so if you put up like a really, I would say it varies by platform and what you're doing, right? Because if you're doing something live, an image can be a little more raw than if you're putting something on Instagram, obviously, right? Absolutely. Yep. But I see that a lot as I'm looking through the different sites, something that's really even it could be a really good company. And I know they're good. But if they're putting up some blurry images or just bad lighting or something like that, they look so inferior to some of the quality that's going up online. 
Absolutely. And I think on the other side of that too, is this is where a small shop can really grow because if they have really super quality images, it's going to attract more people, even if you're small. And I think that's the challenge with a lot of our listeners here is they're small. How do they get some traction? How do they start attracting visibility? And images is a perfect example, just making sure they're quality. Yeah. And going off of brick and mortar for a second too, if you're going to be doing, there's one thing to target in your area, but there's so much e-commerce business that can be done at this point in time that as a brick and mortar, you probably equally need to have an online presence in an e-commerce business as well, because you can target and do business with way more people that way. So thinking about where, how to leverage your business and how to bring in more, if you're talking about a brick and mortar, bring in more sales or bring in more traffic, having two options to be able to purchase, come into your business and target that way, or to be able to purchase online and really having the content that supports it is really important. There's another tip I have for you too. Using the newest features on each platform. As most of you know, Instagram has stories for businesses now that, and also does Facebook has stories for businesses as well. And showcasing this behind the scenes type of environment of your product, how your product's made, your team, your valued customers that buy the product, showcasing that in this story environment, as well as your promotions and your selling piece of it is so important. And it can just drive a whole nother piece of engagement because people are getting this kind of behind the scenes relationship building experience with you. Yeah. And selling is really still about building relationships. I don't know about you. And this is a really good, if I can share this really quick, I always bring it back to my experience with Sunbasket. And I don't know if you know, it's the at-home delivery. It's like Blue Apron or Green Chef, all of those home delivery food services. And my first experience was I saw an ad for it on Facebook and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And it met my diet restrictions. So I went over to the website. And I looked at it and I checked it out. But for me, it intrigued in me that, oh, well, if there's this, there has to be more. So then I went on Google and I started looking up all of these food delivery services and looking at their menus and doing this and kind of exploring my options. And I didn't buy then, which is this is a buyer behavior thing that we can talk about. I didn't buy at that point in time, but I was intrigued by the idea. So Sunbasket knew that I went to their website and four or five days later, I got another promotion and seven days later, I got another promotion and I finally purchased from them, but I didn't do it right away. But what they did is they captured me with this story about how people like me use their service. And it took me seeing that story a couple of times and a different story a couple of times to be able to purchase. And I think that that's what people forget about online is we just think we put up a post and everybody's going to buy our product. That's not always the case. So coming up with that content strategy is really, really important for your business. Yeah. I mean, really what you just presented, it's rarely the case. And that holds true for even when I was a big one in direct marketing, direct mail marketing back in the day (laughs) before social media. And we would always say, you cannot just do a one and done and then go do another one and done. It's kind of like building blocks. If you just put one block next to each other, nothing ever grows. But if you put one on top of another, then you're starting to build something, right? Exactly. Same thing with advertising. And I think I'm even guilty of it. You forget that you have to build on top. And it was just that story. I mean, they probably, that was a paid ad probably, Sarah, at first. 
And certainly the second one was because they were retargeting you. Right. So the first money doesn't look like it's worth the investment because you're not getting a direct sale in return, but it's multiple hits on top of each other that bring in the sale. Exactly. And their first offer to me was intriguing enough to get me to click over. And then I had to go through this research mode. So when we're talking about buyers, we kind of have two different types of buyers. We have the impulsive, right, that will just see something, jump on it and buy it, which on social media, that's changing just a little bit because of the advertising environment. And it's very heavily used at this point. So people are not quite as impulsive as they used to be. And then you have the analytical person like myself that see something, it strikes an idea on me. And I'm like, Oh, that's a great idea. But I don't buy right away. So it's up to me as the seller of the product to stay in front of them until they do buy. We know as social media marketing experts that it takes four to eight, sometimes 12 touches with somebody to make them a purchaser or a buyer of your brand. And not everybody's going to do that, obviously. So understanding that means we have to be consistent and we have to go deep on our touches with the people that are interested in our brand. Mm -hmm. All back to your point of consistency, picking one platform possibly and just being consistent, having a plan, seeing what's working. And then if it's not working, not abandoning ship, but just tweaking what you're doing until it starts to work properly, or at least you've put in enough time. Absolutely. Yeah. And what typically happens is people just give up. They're like, well, I ran one ad and it didn't work. It's like, well, how many clicks did your ad get? Let's look at that first. Okay. So it got 158 clicks. You spent a hundred dollars or $50. Okay. Well, it intrigued somebody enough, 158 clicks enough to go there, but you can't just stop right there because if you do, I mean, just because they click doesn't mean they're instantly going to buy. And if we stop right there, we're actually taking somebody that was intrigued by our brand and just letting them walk out the door. Right. All right. I have a potentially explosive question for you. Are you ready? Ooh, I love it. Let's go. You promise you'll answer it honestly? Yeah, of course. (laughs) Okay. You know me. I'm brutally (laughs) honest. (laughs) Okay. So I'm going to just say that most of our listeners are probably on Facebook. And I think it's the right call, actually, based on who I know and the number of people who are on it. Like, If you had no idea what platform you were going to do, I would start with Facebook for my listeners. 100%. Yep. So here's my question. Facebook has changed yet again. It might even change between the time we're recording this and when the yes. episode goes live. But at this point, when we're recording right now, obviously, the algorithm has changed. We're talking about more engagement. We're talking about page reach being somewhere under 3%, probably. Do you think it's worth, apart from just being a little bit active on pages, just so your page doesn't get stale, do you think it's a better call to do live video and that type of thing if you're not doing ads than just putting something random up on your page? Yeah, well, so let me just say... I've always been a Facebook fan, and I also get very frustrated with the platform as well, like most. But I will tell you this, Facebook is coming down to your content strategy. It's definitely coming down to that. If people aren't engaging in your content, your ads probably aren't going to get any reach as well or very limited reach. How much do you really feel there's value in user-generated content? In other words, posting things from others, which we'd referenced earlier, versus not doing that at all, 
or using your own. I know using your own is best, but mm -hmm. is it even worth user-generated content anymore? I mean, as long as you're not making that your whole content strategy, I'm okay sharing something. But if you're going to share something, you have to have your own unique spin on it. Okay. The problem with, especially in service-based businesses, which isn't really the case here, but like myself, if I'm sharing something that another expert in my industry wrote and I'm not putting any of my own unique spin on it, I'm really just highlighting somebody else in my industry as an expert, right? So what I would tell you to do is if you are sharing other content and you're doing it to strike up engagement, do it with an intention to get people to interact. So maybe pose a question with it. See this article from so-and-so. What's your thoughts? Do you think Facebook advertising is dead or whatever? Okay, but so for our audience who probably doesn't have a group, they're part of groups, I'm just going to go with this as a generalization. They don't have their own group where a lot of the engagement takes place. They have a page where we already know 3% or less, south of 3% are even seeing it. Is that where time should be going versus biting the bullet, being afraid, getting on live, showing your personality and showing interaction with someone in your shop or a video of you making your chocolate or I mean, where should the time really be spent? Nerves and anxiety aside. <laughs> yeah, in your own unique content strategy with showcasing yourself and your business, 100%. That's where your time should be spent. I don't care if it's a boomerang from Instagram that you share everywhere, whatever it is, the time and the effort should be spent in developing your own unique personality and content strategy that is bold enough and engaging enough that people are going to want to see it. Because if you can get engagement on your page and on your posting, your ads are going to perform much better than those that get no likes and our article shares, they're not going to go anywhere. So okay. if you had to pick say, and again, I'm not saying you have to post seven days a week. I'm just saying what you do post needs to be high quality and it needs to be engaging if you want people to interact with your page and your brand. Okay. And you're leading this so perfectly because now I want to say <laughs> that I think a lot of our audience has never done a Facebook ad before. I mean, they might have boosted a post here and there, but let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. The value of Facebook ads, should you, how do you decide if you're going to start just a little direction there? Yeah. So if I was just starting out as a new business where I would put my ad dollars specifically is creating content that is getting good engagement on my page and then possibly boosting that content to a bigger audience or a bigger demographic. So if I was brick and mortar, I might target in a 25 mile radius of my store to try and get more people in the store, get more foot traffic in there. But again, I'm not going to just do that with a blanket ad like, hey, come in and see us. I'm going to do it with high quality content that makes people go, oh, geez, I want to check that out or I want to go look at that. That you've already seen has gotten engagement. Yeah, you've seen it on your page, get engagement, because I think there's a couple things that is happening with Facebook is because the ads are so saturated at this point and you're seeing them for everything, the user actually has the ability to say if they want to see it or not. I don't know if many of you know that, but I can say if I'm seeing these ads pull up, I can say hide this ad. I don't want to see any more of this ad. So it's really important that the content that we are paying to boost, and I would start with boost. I wouldn't even start with the ads manager piece of it yet. If I was just starting out or a business with a small budget, I would create killer content 
And I would put some ad dollars at that to try and generate traffic or interest in a product. Now in saying that real quick though, I would also make sure that if you're sending people to a website that you definitely have the remarketing set up in your website before you start that. And that piece is done in ads manager. Right. We're talking about having pixels. So you're tracking what's happening. So that people that are visiting your website are being tracked and you can remarket to them. So that's different than boosting a post that's done through the ads manager piece of that. And it it is important. Yeah. And that might freak out a couple of our listeners here, but anybody who does anything with social media could put this up for you in like 30 seconds. Absolutely. So if you have someone even local in your market, part of your chamber, something like that, don't let that tech part freak you out. But the sooner you get, it's called a pixel, it's a little piece of code. The sooner you have that tracking, it's kind of like thinking of someone who has muddy feet. You're able to see where they've been and you know where they're going and you try and draw them back. When Sarah's talking about targeting, you can then reach out and put another piece of content in front of them. And this is how you layer up the content where Sarah's talking about multiple reaches. It's not multiple reaches out into the universe and you hope you're capturing and reaching the same people again. You're able to do it by putting this pixel in place. Exactly. I'm really glad that we talked about that. And give business listeners, I just have to tell you, and Sarah, I'd love for you to go and look at this too. Way in the beginning of this podcast, I'd say it was somewhere in the first 20 episodes, and I'll put it in the show notes. I interviewed a woman in my area who has a company called Love That Spice, and I just saw her this weekend. I jumped into her shop, and I was telling her how much I was enjoying her social media, and oh my gosh, who is doing it for you? Because it's just fabulous. She's doing it all herself, and you know what she's doing? When people come in, so she sells spices, but she also sells beverages made out of the spices, you know, et cetera. All she's doing from her phone is capturing customers enjoying a cup of tea or some coffee or having them sample a couple of new things she has, getting their reactions. And it's so engaging and so different from what she used to do. And she's like, Sue, it's like a no brainer. It's so super easy. So any of you, I would encourage you to go, you can go listen to her show in the podcast if you want, but mostly I want you to just go and see what she's doing online. I think it's wonderful and a great demonstration of what Sarah's talking about in terms of behind the scenes. And it piques your curiosity and makes you want to know more. Well, and Sue, that brings a good point in terms of a lot of people and probably some of your audience here today struggle with what do people want to see? And the reality of it is usually we overthink this so much and we're not thinking in the moment to be taking pictures. So if you're a maker and you're making a fresh loaf of bread or whatever that is, a craft or something like that, showing people the behind the scenes of that, that's the content that does the best. Showing your clients and your customers coming in to get that product and with their fresh loaf of bread standing there, happy customer that's the content that's going to get the most engagement. So it's not even something we need to think so far out, like what would people want to see? It's actually something that we should be thinking about in our day-to-day. What am I doing with my product that people would want to see? Am I doing a photo shoot? Is my team making it? What can I do to really showcase my product today? Yeah. Taking that mindset, and I'm sure that that's what the Love Your Spice company is doing. She's being mindful in the day-to-day process of what she's doing of opportunities to create content. Yeah. And sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah. And I'm slowly getting better at this. Slowly, I might add. 
But one thing that's helped me is recognizing that just because you take the picture right then and there doesn't mean you have to post it right then and there. Absolutely. You know, you can take the picture and then you can go on with your day and then later get back to it and think about, okay, what's the message I want to create behind this picture or this video or boomerang or whatever it is. And that's been helpful to me, which is why I just wanted to bring it up. Yep. I have a food company that I work for and or do social media for, and I'll go in and do one day with them or a couple hours a day and take a bunch of manufacturing pictures where we're making the product and go to a photo shoot and take pictures of behind the scenes. And then I spread that content out over the next three months in our social media. So it's not something you just have to post right then and there. If you see the opportunity in a day, hold that content and then start throwing it in down the road. Or if you're going to do a photo shoot, a professional photo shoot and have them in, that could last you six months. Oh, totally. Yeah. Not every single post, but enough to spread out for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm super curious about the answers to some of these questions since you're the social media pro. Do you have a special app that you go to or one that you use for editing your photos or something that you'd like to share with the audience that you use that could be helpful for them for posting? Yeah, I do a lot of my editing in the platform. So Instagram has a great photo editor. Most of you know that I do a lot of editing in there just because it's the easiest. But one of the things I do use for video editing that I really like is an app called Splice. It's mostly for the iPhone, I believe. I do a lot of video content and I do it from my phone typically. So it's nice to just edit the content right then and there. You can add background music, you can add still images, and it's really, really user-friendly. There are a ton of video and editing apps out there, but Splice is one of the ones that I've used from the beginning. Um, I believe it's owned by GoPro, and I use it, and I love it, and it makes video editing really easy. I can take out pieces of a video if I flub a word, or if I want to add a graphic in there, I can do that really quickly. Also, I mean, I have a Mac, so I use my video editor on my Mac to edit videos and you can do almost everything on that. And yeah, those are probably the two. I don't like to get a ton of apps because apps, then you're like, which one should I use now? So I kind of find my staples and I stick with them. I agree with that. Kind of like your social media platform, start with one, get it going, then add another. But when you find something that works and you've gotten accustomed to it, it's almost like don't waste that time finding something new because it does one little different thing when you could be going and talking to a new potential customer. Yeah. Another great video editing app is called Camtasia. Not sure if you've heard of that, but if you're doing text overlays and maybe doing more still image videos, it is a paid app, but it is a great app for if you're not really recording video, but you're using still images and still trying to create a video out of it. That is also a good app. But again, If you're starting out and you're on a limited budget, you don't need a bunch of apps. You can make videos in Facebook. You can make them on your phone. You can edit with free apps everywhere. So don't get crazy about your software. I didn't know Camtasia. I use it on the desktop. That's what I use for a lot of my presentations and online course recording and all of that. It's a phone app as well. I believe it is. I use it on my desktop too, but I believe I've seen it in the app store as well. Interesting. Maybe not. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Okay. All right. In terms of investing in yourself, you have to be on top of all this social media stuff. How do you stay current with everything? Well, I'm involved in a lot of groups with other digital marketing experts and communities that I tap into for resources. And I ask a lot of questions, to be honest, in those communities. Mm. So every 
community, Facebook has a community for pretty much everything. Just like your gift biz community, they have that for marketers. There's all kinds of communities out there. And I get really involved in those and seeing what people are posting. Typically, they're, the communities, they share quite a bit of content. So if I need to know the latest and greatest, I'll just go in there. Or if something's wrong, something's changed with Facebook, which happens pretty much overnight. The other day that happened, all of my targeting was gone and they were removing it permanently. And I went into the group and I said, hey, anybody else having this issue? And they're like, yep, it's gone for good. This is why. This is what you need to know. And asking questions. There's tons of resources out there for small business owners. And some of it might seem a little overwhelming. So I would recommend finding the group that's appropriate for you at where you're at in that stage of business and joining forces with them. I also do a lot of research online through Google. If I can't find something or something hasn't been announced yet, I'll research until I can or can't find it. And then ask. Asking questions is pretty much the best way to get an answer on anything. I'm so happy that you said this because you're an expert, right? But here's a great demonstration of you can't know everything all the time. There's so much now to wrap your arms around in terms of having the knowledge so that you can use it for your clients. And you, by demonstrating that you as an expert will go into your professional groups and ask and get that information so that you can be the best that you can be is a fabulous demonstration because I think we all feel like if we're an expert, we need to have all the answers. And that Mm -hmm. just isn't possible. It really isn't. And in this day and age with technology moving as quick as it does and changes happening in the marketing world. I mean, I remember when there wasn't any social media and how marketing went and it was a much slower pace than what we're at now, right? Things are just coming at us all day long. It's impossible to keep up. Seriously. (laughs) It really never hurts to ask. The worst somebody's going to say is no, right? Or they don't know the answer and then you might have to go research it. But I have found that finding the community that's right for you at the right stage in your business and providing value in those communities, but also asking for support when you need it is literally the best way to stay on top of what you need to know. Absolutely. A give and take for sure. And you have given us so much. So now I, on behalf of our audience, would like to give you something. And that is an opportunity to dare to dream. I'd like to present you, Sarah, with a virtual gift. It's a magical box containing unlimited possibilities for your future. So this is your dream or a goal of almost unreachable heights that you would wish to obtain. So please accept this gift on behalf of all of us and open it in our presence. What is inside your box? Oh my goodness. This is the question I had the most challenging thoughts on. Now answer wisely because this is like a law of attraction type thing. Because if you ask it, you might actually get it. So dream big, Sarah. Okay. (laughs) My dream really and the whole mission behind what I do is to help as many people as possible unleash social media for their business. And if someone could give me that opportunity to inspire, encourage, or educate as many people possible in that journey, I think that would be one of the biggest gifts that I could take and also give to all the people out there that need that help. There you go. And I hear it throughout the whole session we've had here. I mean, you speak with such passion about it. So I'm so glad you found what you love to do. And I'm so glad that we get to be the recipients of all the information. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. And I hope that this content was very useful for your community and will inspire some of you maybe that 
aren't active on social media to maybe take some action. And then also for those that are frustrated, I hope this gives you a different look at maybe some of the things you could do to freshen it up and get some better results. Yeah, absolutely. So real quickly, give us a feel for where would be a good place to learn more about you. You had mentioned some classes that you have. So where can we find out about all of that? Yes. So our website is www.realmarketingsolutions.net. On that website, there is a schedule button. So if you're feeling lost, behind, not sure where to go, you can always schedule a complimentary 15-minute call with me and I could give you the guidance that I would. There's also our DIY courses and group coaching. So we too have a community of small business owners that are looking to leverage social media and are on limited budgets. So they don't have the resources to hire a social media manager, or maybe they have somebody on their team that needs some assistance with social media. Our community is located at RMS. So Real Marketing Solutions, the RMS socialmedia.com. And for anybody interested in having a peek, we offer a free 30-day membership. So you can join the club and you get coaching from me two times a month, which is always beneficial and a ton of extra resources. So if you are a DIY marketer, which I'm assuming some of you are, this might be a great resource for you there. We also have courses on Facebook for business and Instagram for business. So if you're stuck and you just don't know how to leverage those two platforms, those are great resources and they are beginner guides for those platforms. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And 30 day free entrance just to get a feel for what it's all about. That's awesome, Sarah. Yeah. So that gives you two coaching calls with me in that 30 days. We do two a month. And then you also have access to the online courses as well. So that Instagram and Facebook for business and a whole website full of content that you can work through and do it yourself. Perfect. And of course, these very, very valuable links will be on the show notes page if you're not able to capture them right now. So just jump over there and click away. Sarah, thank you so much. It's always hard because I just want to get into like all this personal stuff. (laughs) But we were pretty good at staying on point here, I think. We did. We did. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, Sue. Love that you were here. Have a great day. So Gift Biz listeners, my hope is that through my conversation with Sarah here, that you found some ways that you can bring back some sanity to your social media plan. Also, if you're looking for more Gift Biz motivation, I'd like to invite you to join our private Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. You know, pursuing your business should be fun and exciting and rewarding. But so often when we get into the thick of things, it becomes really stressful and scary. When you join the breeze, it's like sitting in the park with friends who bring all the support you need and that you've been looking for for so long. You'll have access to an amazing group of creators just like you, along with tools and resources to catapult your business growth. To join the group, just jump over to giftbizbreeze.com. I can't wait to see you over there. This episode is all wrapped up, but fortunately, your gift biz journey continues. Are you eager to learn more? Our gift biz gal has a free download just for you. Head over to giftbizunwrapped.com slash 12 steps to get your copy of the 12 steps to starting a profitable gift biz. Don't delay. Head over to giftbizunwrapped.com slash 12 steps today. And until next time, happy business crafting.